we are in week two of a series uh, called The Holy Spirit, A Brief Introduction. As I said last week, our goal in this series uh, is not just to know the Spirit uh, from a distance or kind of know about Him in just a, a factual kind of informational way. Our, our goal really is that we would experience Him in a powerful way. Our hope is that we are so open to the Spirit's leading that we would be changed in the process. Uh, this is what we see in the New Testament, that if you are a Christian, if you're a believer, uh, the call is for us to be a Spirit-filled and a Spirit-led people. But I think it's important that we point out that there's a difference between uh, being spiritual people and being Spirit-filled people. There's lots of people in our culture, lots of people around us who are interested in being spiritual, who want some sort of spiritual experience, even if they're not at all interested in religion. Uh, usually this means that they are, they are engaging in uh, some form of spirituality. Maybe they're picking and choosing from world religions, for e from Eastern world religions perhaps. Maybe they're engaging in spiritual meditation or or seances, Ouija boards, even yoga has a uh, spiritual dimension to it. All of these kinds of things uh, lead people down a path of spiritual experience without any clear idea of who they are experiencing or what the effects may be. The Bible is very clear that our world is a spiritual world, that there's a spiritual dimension to our world and that we have to be careful that because there's deceitful spirits out there that could lead us away from the one true God. So there needs to be a sense of caution for us who want to experience the Lord and his spiritual power. Um, there's a possibility that when we are engaging in spiritual things, uh, in fact, we are being deceived. Now, the challenge of this is that those harmful spirits, they don't usually come in a black cloak. They don't come breathing sulfur. Uh, a lot of the times, when we're just engaging in spirituality, there's a, there's a sense of of goodness, of, of power, of peace that comes our way. And so we have to be very careful. Here's what we find in 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul writing about this, this dynamic of, of deception. He says, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So this means it is very possible for us to open ourselves up to spiritual experience, feel some sense of power or peace, but actually be dealing with a, with a spirit that is harmful to our soul. And so what do we do? If, if we are to open ourselves up to the leading of God's spirit, how can we be sure that we are not being deceived? What if a friend of ours comes up and, and says, look, I've, I've had this experience with God, I, I, a vision or a dream or a word from the Lord, how can we be sure that it's actually the Spirit of God speaking and not some other spirit? It's important that we, that we know the answer to this question. And it's helpful that John tackles this question head on. He does it in 1 John 4 where he says this, Beloved, so speaking to the Christians in the church, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So that is the distinguishing mark that you were dealing with the Holy Spirit is that he is putting the focus on Jesus. He's, he's confessing that Jesus came in the flesh, died, and was resurrected. We touched on this briefly last week, but to truly understand the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we need to understand how utterly Christ-focused he is. 
And so that's going to be the the focus of our time here together. Two points are going to guide us. And the first one is this. The Holy Spirit always glorifies Jesus. The Holy Spirit always glorifies Jesus. This means that he puts the focus on Jesus at every opportunity, even when it's, it's him that is doing the work, and it seems like the Spirit is the one who deserves the credit. We see this very clearly in the ministry of Jesus. So if you remember, Jesus came to earth, still God the Son, still had access to divine power, but did not access it while he was here on earth. He lived as a human being, as as we did, so that he could earn the obedience that we could not. When Jesus was baptized, he was anointed by the Spirit of God. So his entire ministry was empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is how the New Testament church, uh, the the apostles describe his ministry. Here's Acts 10.38. It says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The interesting thing, though, is that if you look through the Gospels, you don't see a lot of evidence of the Holy Spirit getting credit for what Jesus is doing, that he's actually the source of the power. Here's an example. This is Jesus early on in his ministry. He walks into a a synagogue. He unrolls the scroll of Isaiah, and he's reading a prophecy about the coming Messiah So he's reading about himself, and it's all about how the Spirit will empower the one that God has sent. So here's what he reads. This is Luke 4.18. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is great stuff. You would think that the people hearing this, they might start to to glorify the Spirit, to say, wow, the the Spirit of God is amazing. I mean, the the Spirit of God is going to do all of that through this person. They would marvel, they would wonder at the Spirit of God, but that is not what happens. Look at verse 22. The response from the people is this, all spoke well of him, of Jesus, and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. So even though the Spirit is clearly the source of power, but everyone marvels at Jesus and What you notice if you look at the whole passage, Jesus doesn't correct them. He doesn't say, hey, everyone, just so we're clear, it's the the Spirit of God who's doing this. It's not really me at this moment. he He doesn't deflect any of the attention. In fact, if you look through his ministry, what he does when he has the opportunity to put the focus on someone, he puts the focus on himself. This is what he says in John 17. He's he's praying to God the Father about himself, and he says this, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So Jesus did accomplish all that the Father had sent him to do, but he did it by the power of the Spirit. But you notice here, he doesn't He doesn't talk about glorifying the Spirit. He talks about glorifying himself. He receives all the glory. And this isn't a temporary thing. This goes on into eternity. Look here at Revelation, where we get a picture of the coming age, the coming coming heavenly age. Revelation 5, John writes, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne, it's God the Father, and to the Lamb, that's Jesus, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So forever, we will be glorifying Jesus. And it's 
I think fair to ask the question, why, why is this? Why does it work this way? Especially when clearly that the Holy Spirit is at work and supplying the power, I mean, is the Spirit somehow less worthy than the Son? Is the Spirit somehow less glorious? Is the Spirit shy? Like he doesn't like a lot of attention? That's not the reason. Okay, it's not an issue of, of power or ability or worth. The three members of the Trinity are all equal in those things. It's an issue of role and relationship. See, though the members of the Trinity are equal, they have distinct roles in relationship to each other. And you see this just in the way when you read through the Bible. For example, uh, in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he sent his Son. That's indicating a, a sense of authority there. Jesus went where the Father told him to go. He was submitting himself to the Father. Same thing in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus says, not, not my will, but yours be done, Father. Again, submitting himself to the will of God. But sometimes the Spirit has authority over Jesus. If you remember the time when Jesus gets led out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, he was being led by the Spirit. He was going where the Spirit led, submitting to his authority. But then other times, like later on, the Spirit is uh, submitting to the Father and to the Son. Jesus says, I'm going to ask the Father to send you a helper. That's the Spirit of God. Jesus says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. So there are these dynamics of authority within the Godhead. We could say a multiplicity of roles that brings harmony and beauty to the Godhead that would not otherwise exist if they were all exactly the same. I'm going to give you an analogy. It's a little, you know, you got to be wary of giving analogies about God. But here's one that I think is helpful. There's a difference between unison and harmony. Okay, when there are three singers singing in unison, they're all singing the same note in the same way at the same time. And if they're good singers, it can be very beautiful. We hear that in songs all the time. Harmony is when there are three singers singing three different notes at the same time. And that harmony, as they sing together, it brings greater, greater texture, greater beauty, greater glory for the song. And this is what happens with God. One God, three persons, with a multiplicity of roles and relationships. And the Holy Spirit's role is to glorify Jesus. That's his delight. That's his passion. So here's another analogy. You could think of the Holy Spirit like the lighting in an art gallery. I'm not sure if you've ever been to like a legit art gallery, but when you walk in, you'll notice that they've, they've engineered the entire space to put the focus on the artwork on the wall. There are lights somewhere. You can't really see them because they're recessed or they're out of the way, but the focus is put on the artworks. If you go to like the, the Louvre in Paris, you see just these masterworks of Da Vinci, of Rembrandt, and everyone's focus as you walk in the room is, is on just these glorious masterpieces. The effect would be hindered if instead of recessed lighting, you had like big construction yellow tripods right in the middle of the Louvre shining a floodlight on the artwork. You'd still see it, but it would kind of get in the way. And no one wants that. It's the same with the Spirit of God. He doesn't want to get in the way. He wants our focus to be on the glory of Jesus. That's his, that's his role. That's his delight. That's his joy that we would see Jesus more fully because of his ministry. So in the ministry of Jesus... The Holy Spirit glorified Jesus there. In eternity, we're told very clearly he's going to glorify Jesus there as well. But the question is, how is that happening right now? How does the Holy Spirit glorify Jesus in our lives today? So here's the second point. 
He does this because the Holy Spirit mediates the presence of Jesus. The Holy Spirit mediates the presence of Jesus. You can see, uh, it's not my language, it comes from J.I. Packer uh, in his book, Keep in Step with the Spirit. So let me explain what he means. Uh, he's not talking about mediating like uh, two people who are in conflict and you have to mediate between them. It's not that. He's talking about media like a form of communication. So like radio, TV, internet, right? These are all forms of media. So when we want to know what's going on in the world, right, we turn on a screen. The screen mediates what's going on out in the world to us, right? So the news story comes on and we're wondering what's, what's happening. Well, we look to the screen and that is like a stand-in. It's bringing all the things out there close to us so that we can experience it. This is media. But it's not just news stories that are mediated to us or like movies, that kind of thing. Uh, people can connect through media too. So imagine for a moment if uh, there are two people who are separated uh, by, I don't know what, there's a work placement, right? there's a long-distance relationship. Uh, they're far away from each other and they really want to connect with each other, how, how do they get a sense of each other's presence? Well, it happens through media. Uh, back in the day, there were letters, right? You would, you would be by candlelight, writing your letter, fold it up, get a wax seal, stick it on, give it to someone on a horse. They would ride for like weeks and weeks and weeks to your loved one. They would open it up and they would read the words and it's like you're right there. Wow, it's amazing, this media communication, these letters. That's how it went for a long time. And then there was the telegraph. All of a sudden, people put wires between cities and you could connect in, in a much more real time. You could type out a little message, I guess, in, what was it, Morse code? And then they would, they would hear what each other's saying. Of course, the telephone made it so much better. Now you could hear the person's voice in your ear. It's like they were right there speaking to you. It was fantastic. You could feel their presence. Then email, where you could message back and forth, texting. Now, of course, we can just... You know, look at each other through some sort of video message chat. People do this all the time for some reason at the supermarket where they're talking with their aunt very loudly, picking out oranges. You could do this somewhere else. But the beauty of this is that you are experiencing a sense of intimacy with the other person. It's like they are there with you through the device, through the media. And this is what the Holy Spirit does with us and Jesus. This is the thing. If you're wondering what the Spirit's ministry is to us as believers, this is it. The Spirit allows us to experience the presence of Christ. It's not a secret. It's not something new that just happened. This always was the plan. In fact, even before the Spirit came and Jesus was kind of letting his disciples know what was going to happen, this, this is what he told them. Here's John 14, verse 17. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now you notice there's a lot of things going on there that Jesus is explaining, and some of them seem a bit contradictory. I mean, it We've been learning about, like last week, we heard that the Spirit of God dwells within us. And you, and you see that there. He says, he will be in you. But it also seems like Jesus is in us. Is it one or is it the other? Also, it says there, Jesus said he's going to go away. But then it also says he's going to come back. And you wonder, how can all of this be possible at the same time? How does it make sense? It makes sense because the Spirit is the perfect mediator of Christ. Christ. 
to the point that the spirit in us is Christ in us. If you hear Christians talk about that, how Jesus is in us, in our hearts, this is what we mean. This is why we are saying this, because as the spirit is in us, Jesus is in us. Now, if you're new to the church, this is difficult to grasp. I mean, it's just difficult to grasp anyway, because we're dealing with God. But one of the reasons it's hard for us to really understand how this is possible is because of the nature of media itself. See, media is great at connecting people, but in our experience with media, it never does it perfectly. I mean, there's always limitations to media. Even, even if you go to like Best Buy and you see those new 6K TVs that are just like crystal clear, so bright, so colorful, they're always showing pictures of like Amazonian birds flying with all the colors, and it looks fantastic, but you never, you never really think you're there in the Amazon right? You know there's, there's still a distance. Even if you build like a media room in your basement, uh, even if you go to an IMAX with a screen wrapping around, even virtual reality, all of those forms of media, there's always limitations because there's always an edge to the frame. There's always some way that it's positioned, which makes us know that what we're seeing is not real. And even these days, we're even more aware of this because the media that we're seeing, we know we can't trust it. There's news that's fake, there's images that aren't real. There's things that we're being told that we, we don't know for sure if they're real. So there's this always disconnect between what's out there and what we're actually seeing. That's just the nature of media. There's a cultural theor theorist called Marshall McLuhan. Uh, there he is. He looks so dapper. Um, in the 1960s, he was noticing this about the media even back then. We didn't even have all the stuff we had today. And he coined this phrase... Uh, that you might recognize, it's become quite famous, uh, which is this. He said, the medium is the message. The medium is the message, meaning any mediated reality can't escape the effects of the medium itself. That you, you can't escape the fact that you're looking at a newspaper, looking at a screen. There, there's limitations to the media, and the media shapes the message itself. But it's different with the spirit. It's different with the Spirit because he is the perfect mediator, because he shares in the nature of Christ, and he actually dwells within us. See, through the Spirit, we have an opportunity to experience the very presence of Jesus in our heart, in our soul, not just as a person outside of us, not that we're learning a lot about him, but that he's actually near to us. He's within us, which is why Jesus said this when he left. Remember this puzzling thing he said? John 16, 7, speaking to his disciples, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that's the spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You can imagine the disciples looking at Jesus in the face and Jesus saying, look, it's going to be better if I leave. They're like, what do you mean? We don't even know what we're doing. We barely know what's going on here. You're going to leave us and you're telling us it's better? How could it possibly be better that you, who are God, we've got that part right now, are going to leave us? Aren't you God with us? Why, why would you go? And how would that be better? It's better because with the Spirit, we don't just have God with us, we have God in us. His ministry to us is more intimate, more real, more full. This is the beauty and the wonder of the ministry of the Spirit that he actually perfectly mediates the presence of Christ in our lives. So you might wonder, well, what does this look like? Like if you are a Christian, 
If you're not, you're wondering, like, what exactly should we be expecting if we're, if we're seeing this happen in our lives? J.I. Packer says there's three things, three things that would, should be true, should, we should grow in if we are experiencing the ministry of the Spirit, uh, revealing to us Jesus more fully. And the first thing is this, that we realize that Jesus is here, that Jesus is, is here. Uh, if you remember when Jesus left, or just before he left, he said to his disciples, I will be with you until the end of the age. This wasn't like hyperbole. This wasn't just an expression. You know, sometimes you say to someone, right, I'm, I'm going to be with you forever, and then you break up with them, right? You never see him again. It's just to make them feel good in the moment. It wasn't that. That wasn't what Jesus was doing. He was actually saying, I am going to be with you. How, they, how could that be possible? Through the Spirit. Because the Spirit is in us, Jesus is with us, which means, which means that we are not alone. One of the greatest challenges for us as human beings at different times in our lives, sometimes our whole life, is this, this temptation to think that we, are, that we are alone, that we are unknown, that people don't really know us or care about us or understand us. And what we see very clearly is that Jesus is saying, no, I, I am with you. I'm not just with you in sort of a theoretical sense. I'm, I'm with you. You can talk to me. I know what's going on in your life. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're struggling with. And as you come to me in prayer, I, you can expect to hear from me through the word, right? He's given us his word to minister to us and, and in the leading of our soul that Jesus is here. He knows what's going on. He hasn't left us alone. That's the first thing. Second is this, that Jesus is active. It's not just that he's here with us. He's at work in us through the Spirit. Uh, this we see when Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and he's writing about this dynamic of, of Jesus, the Son of God and the, the Spirit of God and the effect it will have on us. And as we read this passage, I want you to look at the interplay, almost like the overlap between uh, God the Son and God the Spirit, and then see what it's, what it's doing in our lives. So here's how it reads, 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord Jesus is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord Jesus is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord Jesus, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord Jesus, who is the Spirit. Now, this isn't saying that Jesus and the Spirit are the same person. It's saying that they are united, that they are working in concert, that as we behold the person of Jesus through the Spirit, we will be changed. You see that we'll be transformed by one degree of glory to the next, meaning each day, little by little, the Spirit is at work, and actually, it's Jesus at work in us, that he is changing us in the way that we need to be changed so that we will grow in maturity, grow in our, our sense of experience with him, grow in our faith. This process, theologically, is called sanctification. And we're going to uh, touch on it again in a couple weeks because it is a, a big aspect, a major aspect of the ministry of the Spirit. But for today, we just want to recognize, one, that it's actually Jesus who is at work in us. That through the Spirit, he is the one who is working. And J.I. Packer has a bunch of lists of, of things that he is doing. I just want to read a few of them because they're, they're really good things. He says that what Jesus does in us is that he stirs our sluggishness. He sharpens our insight. He soothes our guilty conscience. He sweetens our temper. Supports us under pressure. Strengthens us for righteousness. I'm not sure about you, 
I need those things. I, I need my, my temper to be sweetened. I need to be supported when I'm under pressure. I felt, I felt pressure this week, and yet I also felt the support of Christ. As I went to him in prayer, as the Spirit ministered to my soul, I knew that he was near. All of those things are things that need to be done, and the dynamic is that as we draw near to Jesus, he will change us. This helps us to see that he is a really, he's a really good friend, like in the best sense of the word. Because good friends, what do they do? They accept us as we are, but also because they love us, they don't, they don't leave us as we are. Like they, they push in on us where there are areas we need to be pushed. That's how Jesus works. But he does it from the inside out through the power of the Spirit. So Jesus is here. Jesus is active. And thirdly, Jesus is glorious. Here's the thing about glory. You can't always see glory with the naked eye. Like, it's easy to, to pass by the glory of God and not even see it. Here's an example. I'm going to tell you about uh, a man who radiates the glory of God, but that you might not notice it if you didn't know more about him. So this man, he's a pastor in South Korea. His name is Lee Jong-rak, and his wife's name is Chunja. Uh, there was a movie made about them in 2015. Do you know this movie, The Dropbox? Do you remember this, this movie? It tells a story of his ministry, in his little community church in South Korea, they built this drop box into the wall. And on the outside, it just said, a place to leave babies. And people would come with their unwanted babies, open the door, put it in there. It's heated, has a sensor. And it would notify him. He would come and, and take the child, the unwanted, abandoned child. At the time of the filming of the movie, he and his wife were the legal guardians of, of 19 children in their, in their little home. Uh, many of them with uh, disabilities, which is why probably people didn't, didn't want them. I didn't even watch the whole movie, I gotta be honest. I just started crying at the teaser, the trailer, okay? You just, as you look at what's going on in this man's life, in this woman's ministry, you're just struck by, you're struck by what can happen if someone is genuinely impacted by the gospel. Like if someone has genuinely experienced the love and the grace of God, you see the kind of sacrifice that they can show to other human beings. It's a wonder. I mean, he radiates the, the glory of God. But here's the thing. If you didn't know anything about him, like if you hadn't seen the film, if you hadn't, didn't know about his ministry and you just passed by him on the street in South Korea, you, you wouldn't think twice. You just look like a regular guy, regular South Korean guy. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be struck by anything special because you wouldn't know. Right? You would be oblivious to their glory because you wouldn't know their character, their story, the impact they've had on all of those children. You wouldn't know. And that's the way it is with Jesus. The world doesn't know him. The world doesn't want to know him. In John 3.19, we're told that light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. People aren't interested in Jesus. So the ministry of the Spirit, the thing that he does is to reveal the glory of Christ in the dark hearts of humanity, which includes us. Even those of us who are Christians, we can turn a blind eye to the glory of Jesus, but the Spirit is there to open our minds, open our hearts, so that we can behold the most wonderful thing in the universe, who is Jesus himself. And this was always the plan. Here's what Jesus says, again, kind of foretelling what would happen when the Spirit comes, John 16, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
See, the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus in our eyes by convincing us, by showing us the glory of Christ, and by making clear that everything that Jesus has actually is for us. We aren't just to behold the glory of Christ. We are to partake of it because we're united with him in the Spirit. This is the wonder of what it means to be a child of God. Look here again, John 17. He's praying to God the Father. Jesus says, the glory that you, Father, have given me, I have given to them, us, the followers, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So the final effect of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives is that he perfectly mediates the presence of Christ. We behold the glory of Jesus and we are utterly convinced about the Father's love for us. That, that as we experience Jesus, we just are struck by how much God loves us. That he's for us. That he's caring for us. So to experience the Spirit is to experience the Son. And to experience the Son is to know the Father. It's a glorious picture of divine community and grace manifested not just to us, but, but in us, which is the amazing thing. Now, you may be thinking, um, I'm a Christian. I, I believe this. I believe the gospel. I love Jesus. But I'm not sure that I've actually experienced him in this way. Like the kinds of things you're talking about, some of the things I see in the verses here about the intimacy about the glory, the wonder, like actually, actually knowing that he's with me, I'm, I'm not sure that I really experienced that in certainly in a day-to-day -day way, maybe a couple times in my life, but what, like is there, is there a problem? Like why is it that I don't experience the presence of Christ in this full sense all the time? What, what is the problem? Francis Chan, author, a pastor, he, he, he gives two reasons why we might not be experiencing Jesus and the spirit in the way that we we want to or the way that we could. So here are the things he says. Number one, he says, it could be that your life is too loud. It's hard for us to experience the mediated presence of Jesus through the Spirit of God when we are constantly being interrupted. I mean, this, this probably happened for all time, for all of humanity. There's probably someone back in the day trying to you know, spend some quiet time with God praying. There's a knock at the door, someone's letter, and they leave their prayer. They go and open the letter. I gotta find out exactly what it is right away. Right? We're always being distracted. Today, though, we know it's, it's our devices. There's so many inconsequential, unimportant things that we just have to look at right now because it bings, and we got to look at it. That's just the nature of our world. We would do well to take a cue from the life of Jesus, from the pattern that he set. Remember, he was anointed by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, and yet he had a pattern of solitude and prayer where he could commune with the Father even though there were real needs, real people vying for his attention, and yet he, he always found time to be still, to come to the Father in prayer. So a good question, I think, for us would be, what would it look like? What would it look like for us to turn everything off and be still with the Lord on a more regular basis? Like, how could we make that happen? And this is something we have to decide in our own lives. We all have different schedules, different rhythms of family. Where, where could there be a pocket? 20 minutes, half an hour. We just, 
The phone is off. We're just still with the Lord. And what we're doing is we're, we're not just going through our prayer list. That's good. We need to pray for each other, pray for things. But really what we're saying is, is Jesus, I, I know you're there. I want to experience you. I want to hear from you. Like I, I, I want to know what your leading is in my life today. I, I do need you to soothe my conscience. I need you to encourage me. And, and we're listening for his voice. We're, we're in the word because we know that's where he speaks. But we're also trying to open our ears and our heart to the leading of the spirit so we might know him more. So it could be that our life is, is too loud. But it could also be that our life is too safe. And here's a story that helps to illustrate that. Uh, in 2007, there were 23 uh, missionaries at work in uh, Afghanistan, and they were kidnapped by the Taliban. Kidnapped at gunpoint. Uh, they were in captivity for 40 days. Uh, during that time, two of them were executed. So the rest of them were in legitimate fear for their life. Uh, as they tell the story of how they survived, they, they leaned on each other for strength. There was a time when they were all together, and so they could pray for each other. Uh, one of them had smuggled in uh, a Bible, so they ripped it into 23 parts and gave everyone some verses they could look. Uh, what they would say is they were sustained by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God. That through all the, all the trauma, all the abuse, all the hardship, the just emotional, psychological toil, they made it by the power of God. Thankfully, after 40 days, they were released. They went back home, went back to South Korea. Here's the interesting thing. What many of them would say to each other, this was sort of a story told to each other. After, after the trauma had passed, in a sense, they'd gotten back to the regular rhythm of life. They could, they could breathe again. They knew where they were. They were at home. They were safe. Here's what they would say to each other. They would say, don't you kind of wish that we were back there? Like, like don't you kind of wish that, that we were back there in captivity? Why would they say that? It's because in that time of trial, they experienced an intimacy with Jesus that they never had before and that they hadn't been able to recapture. And so there was a part of their hearts that longed to be that close to Jesus again because that's what happens in times of, of desperation, in times of need. We draw nearer to Christ. We experience him in a way that we don't when we're comfortable because when we're comfortable, we don't need the comfort of God. Everything's going well. We're safe. We can, we can do our lives on our own strength. For us to experience Christ, we need to be in positions where we know we really need him. Now, this doesn't mean that we just put ourselves in some sort of perilous situation. What it means is that we are willing to follow the spirit of God into areas of uncertainty and risk. And maybe that's the second question for us. Are we willing to do that? Do we see the value in it? Not, not just to be obedient. I mean, that's primarily why we follow the Spirit of God and to do certain things. We want to be, be obedient to God. But also, the sweetness of it is that we can be confident that as we go into these situations where we're out of our depth, out of our strength, and we need God, we know that he will show up. And we will experience him in a more full and intimate way. See, it could be that our life is too loud. It could be that our life is too safe. But the promise of God is that as we follow the Spirit, as we make the time, we put in the energy and effort, it's not that we somehow you know, manifest Him ourselves, it's that we're just in a place where the Spirit's at work. And we're able to commune with Jesus all the more. This is the joy of the ministry of the Spirit in our lives. 
And I want to leave you with one final verse, a short one, that kind of encapsulates everything that, that we're seeing here. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God has shone in our hearts. How? Who is the light? It's the Spirit. It's the Spirit who never wants to draw any attention to himself, always wants to put the focus on the glory of Jesus so that as we behold Jesus, we will behold the Father and we will grow in our appreciation and love for Christ and it will be glorious for him and good for us. This is my hope and prayer for us as a church, that we would be eager for this, that we would take steps to, to walk in this direction and that we would know Jesus all the more through the Spirit. I'm going to close in prayer for us. Lord Jesus, I do pray that you would help us to know you more. So thankful, Jesus, that, that you sent the Spirit. So thankful, Holy Spirit, that it's your desire and joy to, to reveal to us Jesus in a more intimate, in a more tangible way. I do pray for each one here. I pray if we are people of faith that we would be eager to experience your presence more, Jesus. I pray that we would identify those rhythms of life where it's just so much distraction that we really aren't having an opportunity to, to be still before you and that we would do whatever is necessary to get into that place on a regular basis. And I pray also that if we're being hesitant, not going where you're leading because we're nervous, we're worried about what it might mean, I pray that we would be bold in faith, that we'd step out into uncertainty confident that you will sustain us and even more eager to experience your presence as we walk in that direction. Please help us. Help us, Holy Spirit. Help us behold the glory of Christ so that we might worship you more. We might be changed into his likeness by your grace and power. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.